Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Buying your first house is no joke. From the down payment to the mortgage to finding right house to the paperwork and more... It can be quite a process. So how do you buy your first house with ease and avoid some rookie, aka costly mistakes? Find out in this episode. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Come to Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. I bought my first house at 24, which I've shared on the show before, and I had no idea what I was doing. Like, Literally no idea. I knew that I had a house that I really liked and somehow there was going to be money exchange and I was going to have to pay a mortgage, but everything in the middle was just a complete blur. I sometimes wish I could just go back and feel that free again to make choices without really thinking them through. It all ended up okay, but it was definitely a scary process and a lot of money involved, even more money than 
I thought at the beginning, but maybe that's the beauty of, of buying your first house. But I want something different for you. Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen, co-hosts of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast and authors of the new book, First Time Homebuyer, are our guests on this episode to share how to buy your first home, why your purchase really isn't an investment, the importance of an exit strategy, and why you shouldn't think about buying a house without a reserve fund. So go ahead, press pause on HGTV and tune in for this How to Buy a Home episode. You both wrote this great book, First Time Homebuyer, which of course is like the Bible for first time homebuyers, if you will. And I, I thought we would just start out at the beginning with kind of a, a gusto. What are some of the like biggest rookie mistakes that you see first time homebuyers make? Like, what are those things over and over again that just make you cringe? Yeah, I I, I would start off with with. Uh, at the strategy level, but before you like even talk about buying a place in the wrong spot or with some sort of unchangeable feature like next to the train tracks and you find out really the the first thing I would start with is the strategy and thinking through what is going to what am I going to do when I leave this property because the average person is is staying in a home for about seven years here in America, and so are you going to you know when when you buy the home you know are you're not probably going to live there forever if you're the average person nowadays here in 2021. Um, so I think that the biggest mistake you make is not thinking through exit strategies. And what is an exit strategy? It's what happens long-term for you at the property. And there are three basic exit strategies. One is I live in the property happily ever after for the rest of my life. And a lot of people tend to overweight this one. Um, but it is an important one and you need to be happy with your home in order to make this a sound investment and a sound decision for yourself. The second exit strategy would be to move out of the property and keep it perhaps as a rental, either a short-term rental or a long-term rental. Um, and if you're going to do that, ideally, it's good to make money on that and not subsidize somebody else's house lifestyle by losing money every month with that type of, by holding it as a rental. And the third exit option is to sell the property. Um, and ideally, you sell it for a gain for more than you purchased it for and recoup your down payment and all those other things after closing costs. And I think that folks just don't take a, take a moment and basically think through what's going to happen downstream. The better, the more you can frame the strategy of your first time home purchase around maximizing the potential of those three exit options, the better off you're going to be. The better cash flow it produces a rental, the better you're going to be. The more value you can add or the more that the market appreciates around you, the better off you're going to be. And the happier you are in the property, the better off you're going to be. And tagging off of that, one of the things that prevents people from thinking about these three scenarios is falling in love with the property. They walk in and oh, it's gorgeous. I have to have this house. <laughs> I can promise you as a real estate agent, a real estate investor of more than 20 years, there's another house that's even better. So don't fall in love with the property so much so that you make emotional decisions rather than rational or even uh, mathematically intelligent decisions. Yeah, and that's so hard to do. I'm thinking back to when I bought my first house and you really have to, before you walk in the doors, keep reminding yourself, don't get emotionally attached. <laughs> there are things you can change in the property, things you can't change in the property. And thankfully, when I bought my first house, HGTV wasn't a thing yet. So 
I would imagine that it's a little bit more difficult after all these house shows that you you get a little boggled up in in your thinking. But Mindy, I'm I'm curious for you, is buying a house right for everyone? Like, how do you begin to evaluate that? One of the first things you need to do is look at the market that you find yourself in and look at your intentions that you have. I know people who say, I'm only going to live here for two years. If that's the case, maybe buying a house isn't the best choice. Certainly not a uh, perfect house, um, unless you can run the numbers and the rent makes sense. But if you're going to be there for two years, you're going to pay closing costs when you purchase the home, which is roughly, but not, I mean, don't hold me to this, but it's roughly two to 4% when you're going into the house. When you sell it, it's a lot more like eight, seven to 9%. Uh, So that's a huge amount of money that I think people don't even start to think about before they jump into the home purchase. Again, oh, it's time for me to buy a house because I just paid off my credit card or I finally paid off my student loans or it's never a good time to buy a house just because you paid off another debt. It's a good time to buy a house when you are financially secure, you have plans to be there for a long time, and you are comfortable with your decision and your space in life. You know, you've got a good job. We can go on and on about that. But to make a financial decision like this should be approached in a rather, uh, I don't want to say slow manner because you don't want to act quickly when you find something, but in an intelligent manner, don't be so desperate to buy a house that you decide today I'm going to buy one. Tomorrow I put an offer on a house unless you've done your research. Um, Scott has quite the suggestion for finding a house. And it doesn't really have much to do with what's on the market now. All right, Scott, so you got to tell us. Yeah. Um, well, with that set up, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it's a deliberate process to buy the house, right? And so you say, okay, great. I've decided on my exit strategies and I've decided, uh, for example, I want a place that would break even as a rental so that I have the option to leave the place within a year or two um, with a, a, a unfinished basement or some other type of thing I can add value on, um, whatever, right? Like something that, but in, in this neighborhood where I'm going to be happy, something that gives me the best blend of those three exit options from a strategic sense. The next step is to write down exactly what I want. So there's five steps in this process. First is figure out what you want. And this is not like an intensive process. Just put like two paragraphs down on paper and say like, I want a three bed, two baths. The second bathroom is very important, or at least the second half bath is very important. I think for a lot of folks, um, I want two, three beds, two baths, um, a couple thousand, you know, 1500 square feet, 2000 square feet. I want whatever it is, right. And a two car garage yard, this area of town, just put it down on paper. And then you sit back and you say, am I living in fantasy land or reality. And the way you test that is you go talk to an agent and you ask them to send you all, or you go on Zillow um, or, or Redfin or whatever, and you look at the sold properties in the last 180 days. And you say, great, 
has anything that meets my description in my price range actually sold in my market in the last 180 days? And this is really important because what most people do is they look at the active listings and what is for sale now might be the bad properties. It might be a property that's mm-hmm. overpriced or has something horribly wrong with it. And so you get scared off by what's the market, but it may be that properties are coming on the market and going off the market in two days that meet your criteria all the time. So let's say that you go, you do this exercise and you see, you know, so, so yeah, step one is determine what you want. Step two is look at the sold listings. Step three would be to calmly prepare to act aggressively, right? And so what that means is, <laughs> great, there are 10 properties that have met my criteria in the last 180 days. That means that one property is coming in the market every 18 days, every two and a half weeks. And I know that's a good deal for me because I've determined that there's only 10 properties. Those 10 are the good deals out of the thousands that have sold in my area or hundreds. Great. That's a good deal. And so what happens then is I need to be ready to offer on that property at the price point I've predetermined that's fair based on what other things have sold on the moment it comes in the market. So if that property comes in the market at 2 30 in the afternoon, maybe I'm not like quitting work early, but I'm canceling my evening plans and I'm going to call my agent and call my lender, make sure I got a pre-approval and I'm writing an offer that night or the next day to make sure I've got a chance at winning the bid. And I might lose two or three, but I know that there'll probably be five to 10 in the next six months that allow me to win there. So I skipped a step here, but a part of this is don't allow an artificial constraint to dictate your timeline. What's an example of this? Um, I'm moving to a new city and therefore I need to buy a house coinciding with my move. Or my lease expires on June 30th, therefore I need to buy my property before June 30th and move in. Right? Those are artificial constraints. Talk to your landlord, move into a short term, do something that allows you to make a cool, calm, and collected decision so you're not rushing a four, five, six hundred thousand dollar purchase, the big, probably the biggest purchase of your life, and, and potentially costing yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars from a strategic sense or tens of thousands of dollars by overbuying or, or paying for something at the last minute to coincide with your timeline. You know, Paying 200 bucks a month extra to go month to month with your landlord might cost you 800 bucks and you'll feel it, but it might give you $10,000 better outcome over the end of it. Um, so anyways, those are some of the, that's, that would be a framework to think about some version of that in buying your home to make sure you can get a good deal. That's a great framework. I love that because it's a really systematic way to to think about things. And I'm thinking, I, I've been asked this by my friends, particularly over the last year, because even though we've been in COVID and various versions of that around the United States, there's been a lot of really hot property markets. I live in Los Angeles and I have a lot of friends that are trying to buy a house because they don't want to live in their one bedroom condo anymore. And the market is just absolutely crazy. So I know that's not everywhere around the United States. It's not happening everywhere. But how do you factor these crazy markets that are happening now and know whether that makes sense? I know a lot of the framework that you've talked about, but how do you maybe logically think through some of that? Well, well, first you start with the market, right? And so is the market overpriced right now? Well, there's a lot of mixed opinions on that. And I don't think anyone can accurately predict it. There's good, you know, hey, interest rates just fell. So if they go back up, you know, when interest rates fall, you can afford more property because you can afford a 
the same payment buys more property because it's a lower interest rate, right? So interest rates and housing prices are, are tightly linked. So you, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, interest rates can't go any lower. They might go up, in which case the market's going to fall. But other people are saying, hey, interest rates are likely to stay low for several years now. And we just printed all this money with stimulus packages and those types of things. So maybe inflation is coming around and maybe there's a lot, there's a big boom happening in 2021. So the answer is no one can really know if now is a good time or not in the market. And so that's why I think you should focus on the things that you can control. And those things are, what are my exit strategies? Am I in a strong financial position from which to buy property right now? You know, and going again, going back to those exit strategies, you know, am I going to be happy with my purchase for a long period of time? The longer my time horizon that I'm willing to live there, the more likely it is to be that, that buying a home is going to be better alternative to renting. I think that break-even point is somewhere between five and seven years um, for for, uh, for for those things. Am I willing to? buy a place and change my criteria such that I'll live in a place that would make sense as a rental or long-term or short-term? Am I willing to move into a place that I'm willing to you know, live in and flip and and do a lot of rehab work to, to add value to the property, which lowers my risk? So the, the stronger a position you can put yourself in, the better, regardless of market conditions. And I think you, you, depending on who you ask, there's a good case to be made that now is a terrible time to buy real estate and that now is a great time to buy real estate. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the dilemma. <laughs> I, I love that because there never is the quote unquote perfect time unless of course somebody's giving you a house for free then of course you're going to take that offer but you both talked about some some money moves that you should think about making before you think about buying a house what are some of those those smart money steps that you think everybody needs to think about or have in place before they even begin this process something's going to break when you buy that house it i've bought and sold more houses than a lot of people that I know. And it's something always breaks. And I'm buying dumpy houses, but I've bought nice houses too. And there's always something that breaks. If you go into the property knowing that it needs a new roof, you need to have that money set aside for the new roof. If you're going into a property and you don't know that it needs a new roof or you 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 should start saving up for that roof. Um if you don't have any money, there are some some loan programs. I don't know that there's many 0% down loan programs. There's the VA program and the USDA program. And both of those are special circumstance programs. But the FHA loan will allow you to get into a property at 3.5%. Conventional, I think, goes down to 3% or 5%. That's not very much money in the context of how much the house is costing. You should have extra money in a an emergency fund for when the something breaks so that you can easily repair it instead of frantically repair it. Um, easily repair it means you can call several service providers, get quotes, and choose the one that you are most comfortable with. Frantically repairing it means you have to find the cheapest guy. And I can tell you from personal experience, the cheapest guy almost never is the best guy. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a saying on bigger pockets there. Uh, you know, if you think the uh, the hundred dollar an hour electrician is expensive, try hiring the ten dollar an hour electrician, and you'll find out what expensive <laughs> is. I think that needs to be on a bumper sticker, Mindy, <laughs> or a t shirt or something. A t shirt. <laughs> yes, I'll give it to all my electrician friends. Um, and you need to have the money 
for not only your down payment, but your closing costs. Like I said earlier, it's going to cost you two to 4% of the purchase price of the home in closing costs. You have all sorts of inspections that you should be doing. You have, um, even if your contract doesn't, isn't contingent upon those inspections, which I think it should be, you should still be doing those inspections. So you know what you're getting into when you purchase the house. Um, there's, uh, title insurance and um, attorney fees in some states. There's like a whole host of these little nitpicky charges that, you know, when you're putting 3.5% down on a $100,000 house, you're like, okay, three and a half thousand dollars. I've got that. No, you need more like $5,000, $6,000, $7,000 to cover all these things on top of your emergency fund. Um, have a steady job, have a stable source of income because your mortgage payment is due every single month and you're not going to get that mortgage if your income is all wampy and iffy. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all in one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this, they release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm sorry, but I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a mini golden mountain doodle, full of life, and I would do just about anything to keep her happy, healthy, and safe. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of your family and you want to do the best for them, but vet bills can really add up. We jokingly keep telling Winnie she needs to get a job to pay for her vet bill. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customized accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. 
The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping to ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independent American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer, is not engaged in the business of insurance. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use promo code ETM at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash ETM. Go to joindeleteme.com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. 
Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy, workout-friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com etm for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. Yeah, I, I want to chime in here and just kind of reinforce something that having a good income, good credit, a cash for the down payment, cash for expected reserves, and or I'm sorry, cash for expected repairs you're going to make right after you buy the property and a reserve. Um, that's important. That sounds that can sound like an overwhelming position, but I I just want to like reinforce that a low down payment is an option. It's not irresponsible, in my opinion, to buy a property with three and a half percent down using a conventional or FHA loan, and assuming the PMI. So if you're buying a four hundred thousand dollar home, five um, percent would be twenty thousand dollars. Three and a half percent would be a oh gosh, uh, fifteen something like that. <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah. So so you're you're talking about that kind of as the down payment plus maybe you have five thousand dollars in repairs. That's twenty thousand dollars plus maybe ten thousand or fifteen thousand in reserve. So the, the you know putting down twenty five percent and coming up with those things, you're looking at like what like a hundred thousand or one hundred and fifteen thousand. You don't need that to buy your first house, um, but you do need. A, 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 a fraction of that, a, a meaningful fraction of that, that accounts for those reserves, I think, to be responsible. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to chime in with that. Uh, no, I appreciate that, Scott. Uh, I think a lot of people hear that the, you know, the VA loan, the USDA, the USDA loan are 0% down. I don't think you should have no money in your bank account before you buy a house. Yeah, it's probably more responsible to have a solid reserve with a 0% down VA loan than it would be to put down 100 grand and have nothing in your bank account, right? To to cover those kinds of expenses. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know there are a million and one calculators online of, of what you can afford, but is there some sort of simple or maybe not simple mathematical equation where you can at least get a rough estimate of, of, what you could actually afford based off your income expenses, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, we we don't answer that question in the book. And here here's why. Because we don't think that's a question you should be asking. The 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 housing is an expense, first and foremost. And the more you buy, the worse off you are, whether that's the more you pay for rent or the bigger and nicer house that you buy, generally speaking, because you can be putting that money somewhere else. So to find out how much you can qualify for, you can just put it into a mortgage calculator. Uh, You can just Google that and you'll be able to find out how much you can qualify for from a mortgage perspective. But I think that you have to understand that framework that housing is an expense and you want to buy the 
exactly what you need. You want to reduce the scope and and your desire, that wish list, to what you need and maximize your exit options and go from there. And ideally, you're buying well within the amount that you can qualify for um, from from a, um, a, a, a a mortgage perspective. Yeah, that's a great perspective. And it brings up another question. You, We grow up with this memo, sort of unconscious memo. I think we we go to college, we graduate, we get married, we buy a house, we have a kid. There's some sort of a, a way we're supposed to journey through life. And the buying the house thing has always been talked about, that you buy a house, it's an investment, it's an asset. I'm just curious of of you guys' thoughts on this. Is is the house in itself an investment? Is that how we should think about it? No, the house, the house is an expense. You can build equity in it. So it can be cheaper than renting, but like, uh, let's use that. Let, remember what Mindy said earlier about closing costs. Let's say I buy a four hundred thousand dollars home, and I pay three percent of that in closing costs up front, twelve thousand dollars. I put down ten percent, forty thousand dollars. Okay, so right now my equity in the property or the amount I'm down is I, I've put forty thousand dollars in, and I have twenty eight thousand dollars in equity. But I don't really have twenty eight thousand dollars in equity because remember Mindy said it will cost seven percent, probably on the low end, to sell the property. Seven percent right. of four hundred thousand dollars is oh boy, one percent is four, four <laughs> times seven is twenty-eight. Right. So it's gonna cost me twenty-eight thousand dollars to sell the property. So if I buy that property with I put down forty thousand dollars, I'm out twelve thousand in closing costs, I sell it tomorrow for twenty-eight thousand dollars, that's forty thousand dollars. I've lost forty thousand dollars if I buy the property and turn around and sell it tomorrow. So mm. The only way I offset those costs is if I hold the property long enough for appreciation to increase its value by more than that amount um, and or I pay down the mortgage slowly, which on average, you know, if you assume if you agree with us and assume a three and a half percent appreciation rate on average, um, that's going to be between five and seven years about whether that's a better decision to buy an equivalent place versus rent. And it's going to depend. And that's a complete generalization. It's going to depend on a whole bunch of things like what kind of things can you rent? What kind of things can you buy? How's, you know, what's the appreciation rate in your area? You know, what, you know, all of those dynamics will play in, but in general, and we have a calculator for this, um, that's available, uh, as part of the, the bonus with the book, but in general, it's probably going to be between five and seven years. Um, uh, between whether it's going to be better to buy or rent. So if you're going to live in the property for more than five to seven years, buying can can be less expensive than renting. Um, but it's not, in neither case are you building wealth. And again, the less you buy, the less you pay in rent or the less home you purchase, the less you lose over time as a rule. I want to circle back and answer that question as well, because you're right. You hear this all the time. Your home is an investment. Your home is a really expensive purchase, but a really expensive purchase is not an investment. It is a really expensive purchase. My home is an investment, but my home is really ugly when I buy it. It is the the house that I'm sitting in right now was owned by a smoker. He lived here for 40 years. I'm sure you can imagine how wonderful my home smelled when I bought it. Uh, during his time here, he did nothing to the home. So I still have the 1979 cabinets and countertops and um, bathrooms and all the things. And the basement was unfinished. The windows were original. I got it at a significant discount because my home is an investment, but I am forcing the appreciation in this house. 
some numbers just to throw at you to hear those. I bought this house for $365,000 and the house around the corner, it's a cookie cutter neighborhood. So the house around the corner, the same house design sold uh, three or four months before I bought my house for $598,000. This was a little nicer. So I've got a lot of space between what I bought this for and what this model all fixed up is selling for. So I can go pretty crazy with what I'm going to do on the inside of the house. But because it's my primary residence, I'm living in a construction zone. So there's a lot of trade-offs. Um, I'm willing to live in a construction zone because that's what I pay, 365 and they buy 600. So that's I should really do this math before I come on a podcast. Well, 200 and- well, yeah. Mindy puts in a ton of work to these properties. She buys a property that needs a lot of a lot of remodel and it's a it's a night and day difference when she's done with it. It is a true flip with that and that is a way to turn your your property into investment. It's kind of like is is the the moral of the story here, right? I mean, that, so you can turn it into an investment, but most people as commonly purchased are not. Is that right, Mindy? Right. And the people who bought the house around the corner for 598000 their home is not an investment, even though it's the exact same house I have, because they paid top dollar for it. And I really was scraping the bottom of the barrel when I bought my house. So thinking about a new home buyer, and they're the first time home buyers that want everything shiny and new, they want to walk in, they want that just ah moment where everything's perfect. The kitchen is fabulous. The bathrooms are amazing versus the fixer upper type experience. So if you're a new home buyer, how do you know which way to go on that? Well, well, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to read a book and you're the kind of person who wants to read a book on buying a first home, you know, you're probably at least open-minded enough to be convinced like, hey, the just it's it, there's no wrong answer here. You can buy the place that Mindy's neighbors bought, and that's fine. But they're not making an investment; they're making a very expensive purchase. Our book is designed to help you lower the cost of your decision and underst- and understand those costs. Right? They they might have made a million dollar purchase, right? Five hundred thousand and down payment. And then the over the life of the loan, they're going to pay a million dollars over this. And and their payback period, you know, where this becomes a cheaper option than renting an equivalent lifestyle is going to be seven, eight years. And they're going to live a very expensive lifestyle. And I just don't think those costs are front and center. So I think the first step is just understand the, the magnitude of the decision and all of the ramifications around that. Understand that other options exist, like what Mindy's doing, or like what I did, which is a version, a different version of what Mindy did. I bought a duplex, rented out the other side of that, and was able to buy a rental property with my first purchase and do that a few times to to springboard my way into building a rental property portfolio. That's another way to turn your house into investment. And there's a whole spectrum here uh, across this. You don't have to do anything anywhere near as extreme as Mindy and I did. But the closer you get to having a property that would make sense as a rental, the closer you get to places that you can do at least some moderate touch-up work and improve it over time, you're going to save a lot of money on your purchase and get moved closer and closer to the territory of actually making money on your home purchase over a reasonable period of time. Tell me about your your book, First Time Home Buyer. Uh, how did you both decide what goes in the book, what is not in the book? How did you start that process? Yeah. So um, we, we, we think that, you know, in the world of money, um, housing is, is 
the largest expense for Americans today. It's about a third of household spending um, for the in the average American household budget. And we think there's a lot of basic information out there about guiding you through the process that doesn't exist. And the, the way we structured the book is kind of in three parts. One, the first part is the strategy of home buying, thinking through understanding at a fundamental level that housing is, as most people do it, not an investment, it is an expense. Understanding that exit options exist and that you need to think through more than just the the buy and pray approach where I buy the property, hope I like it, and that it will go up <laughs> in a reasonable period of time. That there are exit strategies like fixing up the property and forcing appreciation or keeping it as a rental short or long term um, after you move out. Um, so, and, and we think that that's a hundred or several hundred thousand dollar framework that a lot of people lack or don't even, aren't even aware of in going into the, the home buying process to think through the strategy of that. The second part of the book is all about putting yourself in position to get a good deal. So think about the framework I described earlier. We look at the sold listings, determine exactly what you want, you know, offering the right price on a deal instead of panicking and buying the least bad listing that is currently active might save you tens of thousands of dollars, for example. Um, it's a lower stakes decision than making the right strategic choice, but still a very high stakes decision. Um, and then the third part of the book is about all the tips and tricks and overwhelming parts of the process that come into literally buying real estate, like the inspection and how terrifying your inspector uh, is going to be when they tell you that your house is about to fall down, what 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 to worry about, what to not, what, what not to, how to kind of develop frameworks for moving through the literal process of the transaction, which can be thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars um, uh, there, what to negotiate on and when to know when to back off and those types of things. Yeah, I really wanted to cover that particular section of the book because as an agent, I know a lot of people, I work with a lot of first-time homebuyers who have no idea what they're doing. And my sister was also a first-time homebuyer and her agent, instead of asking her sister, who knows a lot of agents, she <laughs> found somebody off of a sign, um, her agent didn't tell her what to do. I am quite frankly, probably a bit too much up in my client's business. I want you to know that there's a deadline coming up. You may not realize this, but you've signed a legal contract and you are contractually obligated to meet this deadline. You're not going to miss it if I have anything to do with it. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who don't really understand that this deadline is, you know, that's a hard and fast deadline. You can't ask for anything after that deadline. You have to meet this deadline or the contract ends. I wanted people to understand the process of buying a house because I think there's a lot of questions that go unanswered. And I don't know if you've ever talked to a friend and asked them, hey, did you like your agent? And they said, no, I didn't feel sure. she helped me. I didn't feel like she answered my questions. I didn't feel like I was a priority. You know, I wanted people to have a, a resource to find answers for all of the things because it is a long and drawn out process. And, you know, why make a mistake when you don't have to? Exactly. And why make an expensive mistake if you don't have to? Yeah. It's <laughs> I, never I, a cheap one. No, it is never a cheap one. Well, let's say I've, I've listened to this episode. Uh, step A, obviously I'm, I'm picking up your book, but step B, I want to buy my first house. What are some action steps that I should start thinking about right now to, to bring that into reality. What do you want in a home? Back to what Scott was saying when you're thinking about, should I buy, should I rent? What is it that you want in a home? 
And what do you want your mortgage payment to be? How much mortgage are you going to get? What sort of down payment do you have? And does it exist? Go onto the sold listings in Zillow and Redfin or ask an agent if you've got an agent. If you don't have an agent, find an agent. Talk to a lot of agents. Don't just interview one person and say, okay, you're my agent. Make sure you've got an agent who speaks the same language you do, who communicates in the manner that you want to communicate in. And you know, then reassess your situation and see, is buying the right choice for me? And if it is, pick up the book, read it all the way through, and start learning your market, start recognizing what you want, and start getting listings from your agent so you can make an in- – Scott, how do you say that? Intelligently – no, qu- Calmly, calmly act calmly quickly. Prepare to act aggressively. I'm I'm not react I'm not making an offer sight unseen with no thought ahead of time. I am just defining exactly what I want and waiting for it to appear on the market and then just responding right away. Um so it, you have to do that in order to make a firm competitive offer right away in this market, but it doesn't mean you're making an instantaneous decision or a knee-jerk reaction. You're just going fishing. Awesome. Well, you guys are you have so much information, be it on your podcast, Bigger Pockets. Obviously, this book is just jam packed with great information. But I would love for you to tell everyone listening where they can listen to the podcast, connect with you, and of course, grab a copy of the book. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Bigger Pockets Buddy. We talk about the journey to financial freedom on Mondays and we dive deep into someone's finances on Friday to see if there's any anything they can be any tweaks they can make to their finances so that they can further themselves down the path to financial independence a little bit sooner. The we're both employees of biggerpockets.com which is a real estate investing social network. We are both all over the site and you can reach us at Mindy at biggerpockets.com or Scott at biggerpockets.com. Yes, we also wrote a book. Uh, uh, it's called First Time Home Buyer. You can find that at biggerpockets.com slash FTHB uh, for first time home buyer. Or you can just go to our bookstore and buy it. You can also buy it anywhere books are sold. I really wish I would have had this book and their podcast before I bought my first house, but luckily for you, you can. <laughs> The first time homebuyer book is a must have manual for success. And even if you're buying house number two or three, there's so much in there for you to learn. I definitely suggest picking up a copy. If you learned something today, do me a favor, share this episode with friends right now. Tell them what they can learn about buying their first home. As a reminder, you can head to our show notes for links to episode sponsors and all of our guests. And make sure that you hit subscribe and follow in any podcast player so you can always be aware of upcoming episodes. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode, and I hope you have the best day ever. Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode.